Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Rich, Mike. Thanks very much for the call. If you leave your name and number, I'll give you a call right back. Thank you. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Our um, guest, so bear with me. Hey, Rich, Mike. Thanks very much for the call. If you leave your name and number, I'll give you a call right back. Bear with me one second. Uh, we will have lift off. Um, Your show now. That's Doug Tate. Doug, how's it going? Good. Has already dialed into the show. Only one host is allowed per show. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. Nuts. Hi. Um, Doug, I'm really short. Sorry about that. I can't. Seem to get everything back online, uh, but you're there. Okay. All right, give me a second, and then we're going to be live. Okay, here we go. So we're gonna um, uh, fix this later after it's been archived, but we're just gonna take it from here and. Uh, and we'll we'll start with um, uh, what is the program that you've set up that you're doing uh, for this period of this pandemic trauma um, that, that we talked about yesterday. Sure, um, we're really kind of doing two separate. Um, uh, services the fir- the fir- and they tie together they dovetail together the first service that we're doing is we're offering um, free technical support for remote connectivity for the small to medium businesses in, in our geographic location which is uh, uh, you know eastern side of the US right now and the purpose was of this was that um, many of the smaller customers, and I believe you know we we categorize that at 250 users or below. Um, typically, don't invest in a business continuity plan, a DR strategy. So when uh, COVID-19 hits and the states go into work remote, stay at home, um, many of those businesses have had to shut their door. Um, and, and these are businesses that may be uh, insurance agents or are um, a doctor's offices or other other businesses that don't necessarily need uh, a lot of foot traffic, but their infrastructure, their computers, their phones, their video systems are all geared around a, a central office or offices. So m- my company owns several data centers, 
and not only can we um, utilize the existing infrastructure that we've invested in in the data centers, um, we're able to partner with companies that are offering free services such as WebEx um, or VPN or secure VPNs. And for, for the small to medium business, we typically will um, jump on a call and, and from a business perspective, business view, tr try to understand what they need in order to stay in business. Um, if that's connect everybody into their servers, we can do that. If it's move their servers to our data center, we do that. Um, we try to, to, to find the most uh, economical way to connect them securely to maintain their compliance, but also allow the users to continue to work. And we're doing that for, for, at no cost to the customer. Um, okay. At the end of this crisis uh, uh, pandemic, we will, we will work with them to move them back. Um, whether it's that they pick up their data or they pick up their servers or we we, we send it across the wire to them. Uh, we just figure a way to move them back if they so want. That that initial offering to the, the businesses in our area um, was really just meant to stimulate the small business and keep the doors open, uh, vir virtually keep the doors open. That in turn has led to um, some some innovative type things that we're doing with telehealth and telemedicine in that um, uh, patients want to or need to connect to, to various hospitals and clinics. But if they're long lines or, or they need service, go ahead. I'm sorry, Craig. No, no I was going to say um, I believe Dr. Michael is here. Uh, Mike, are okay. you here? Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes, we're good. Oh, great. Go. Perfect. Um, thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. I apologize for all of the craziness at the beginning. I'm not sure what uh, happened. But um, let me uh, introduce you or let you introduce yourself. Um, I know that, you know, uh, what I've written is that, you know, you're in the, um, you know, the medical profession, uh, also surgeon, which is cool. Um, I don't need you yet, but uh, it's good to know that you're there. That's good. And also, <laughs> <laughs> and also, you have a um, a uh, telehealth uh, company. And so, let me get a couple of minutes about that, and then we'll switch back to Doug, uh, to uh, Doug, and then uh, we we can talk about his product and your services. Yeah, that sounds great, and um, it's uh, great to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Craig. We're um, ah, really Lord. excited to be here, and yeah, absolutely. We we um, I think the uh, phone call I missed the phone call earlier uh, didn't ring on my side, so I apologize. I came in a little bit late, but yeah, you know, um, I am uh, the CEO and founder of Ortho Live, and uh, I'm a practicing orthopedic surgeon in Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, we founded Ortho Live about three and a half years ago to really address the need for patients to be able to get into practices from far away, improving access in rural communities, and really helping the patients that were in rural areas to be able to see the best physicians that they possibly could in their local, regional, or national area. And that's where OrthoLife came from. And uh, recently we've had just an amazing uh, growth uh, for obvious reasons with the pandemic. And it's just great to be able to see so many practices now utilizing the technology to be able to reach their patients no matter where they are. 
So um, yeah, I'm very, very excited to be on the, on the show and thanks so much for having me and, and um, looking forward to the discussion with you and with Doug. Mm, coldness. Um, uh, so Doug, you were just about ready to talk about uh, the telehealth service. And, you know, so in addition to uh, Mike being a guest on, on the show, you know, he's possibly a, um, uh, a customer. So, um, so anyway, Doug, you take it away and uh, tell me about what's going on with uh, uh, your program. Certainly. And, and glad to meet you, Dr. Mike. Um, so our initiative we we are a technology company we focus on everything to simplify it voice video and data um because we own data centers and because we build fiber infrastructures and 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 all of the aspects around that um the opportunity in rural um rural west virginia rural kentucky similar to what you were talking about with dr mike is that um during the pandemic there was a a a a rush of customers who needed to get connectivity and whether that be the the patients at home or the rural healthcare clinics um there was a a a failure of several of these small uh businesses and, and clinics to think about remote connectivity and and their infrastructure being able to support 30 40 50 people working remote um a lot of a lot of the clinics have used broadband type technologies which with if you're in a building uh broadband works pretty well but when you're trying to work remote and you have all the users connecting in and then pulling data back out um broadband doesn't scale very well so with our initiative on the small to medium business of offering these services these connectivity and and, and creative ways of getting them connected during the pandemic at no cost it's kind of rolled over into the healthcare and so um, what what we've been working on, and and I and I think it it provides some of the some of the support that Dr. Mike's program may utilize is we build infrastructures, um, we work within the the needs of the clinics, the needs of the patients, and the needs of the specialists to to create a platform that allows them to communicate, and whether it's a a and it's typically a cloud platform, so that if a large hospital like Duke needs to talk to a rural health care in, in uh, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln County, West Virginia. They may have disparate systems, but our communication platforms uh, that we, we, we go standards-based uh, builds that highway that lets both sides communicate. If they're fortunate enough to have um, some of the newer equipment, some of the different uh, uh, products that are available, they may be able to use those across that same highway, but if not, at a minimum, they're able to have a voice and video and exchange data files. So our focus for us at this point is to provide that um, middle mile to uh, uh, tier one connectivity, superimpose that on the last mile connections that the hospitals have. Um, at the same time, we work with the the rural health cares to to go after the FCC funding that's available, and the USDA grants and, and all of those federal dollars to help the the uh, clinicians get connected better, faster, 
using whatever whatever technologies they can they can get funded for and and installed. Gotcha. Uh, let, let me switch for a second um, to to Mike, who can uh, tell me a little bit or tell us uh, more about um, your telehealth business, because obviously we can figure out what the you know what the surgery part is. But that's not really uh, doable in most uh, cases as far as um, telehealth is concerned. However, uh, you take other aspects of the practice and use telehealth to provide those for your patients, right? Right, right. That, that's, yes. You know, that's the whole um, point sort of behind telemedicine across the board, even with with uh, patients that you know, come in for, for surgical things or that may be non-surgical things, there are so many things that we need to follow up on as physicians. And the follow-up phone calls, the things that we typically would have the patient come back in for, maybe um, you know, talk to them about the results of a test, for instance. Um, those are things that can be done very, very easily using telemedicine. So as we look at you know, MRIs, for instance, um, as an orthopedic surgeon, that's a great opportunity for us to be able to see a patient via telemedicine. We can share the MRI, share the images, and the patient sees that right on their phone or on their computer screen, and they can understand what we're talking about very easily, and it's so much more convenient for the patient given the fact that they can be at home or hanging out uh, on their couch or wherever they might be. Maybe they're at work. And so there's, there's just so much better um, availability for the, the, the patient and, and just convenience. So there are there's a lot to uh, orthopedic surgery that's non-surgical. And even post-operatively, after we do the surgery, we can check in on those patients uh, in a virtual manner too. Many times we're just looking at incisions, making sure that everything looks good, and then we advance them with physical therapy. So there's, there's just um, probably 80 to 90% of what we do as physicians can be handled in a virtual manner. And then obviously sometimes we need to lay hands on the patient to be able to examine them, to be able to um, maybe come up with a, a confirmed diagnosis. But in this day and age, we rely heavily on imaging and technology and testing to be able to confirm things, and that's really where telemedicine comes in. So I definitely don't suggest telemedicine as sort of a replacement for our physician and our office visits. Um, definitely a, it's just an adjunct, and it's a very helpful and convenient adjunct to be able to see patients and take good care of them. Mm-hmm. By the way, what's your... Yeah, um, your URL and email address, because I know I, uh, you know, people only want to have a way to get in, in touch, and I'll get uh, yours information as well, Doug, in a minute. Yeah, that's so great. So it's www.ortholive.com, right? So mm-hmm. ortholive, O-R-T-H-O-L-I-V-E.com. And uh, they can kind of visit with us there. We have a, a chat functionality on the on the site there. Um, you know, we can um, we can see patients there. We can talk to practices there. We can take as well. And then um, the, probably the best uh, email address is info at ortholive.com. So uh, they can certainly send an email to that um, address, and we'll we'll be able to uh, to answer any questions that people have. Yes, great. Now I I to you as Dr. Mike. That's not your last name. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> no worries. All right. So, um, uh, Doug, now what you described, um, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, talking 
to the um, uh, the healthcare professionals that would use the service, but how would a patient or a you know news patient how would they yeah, use your system? So I'm I'm going to kind of springboard off of Dr. Mike's um, offering just just to use it as an example. Um, without knowing a lot of the technical aspects of, of how his system works, he's got certain parameters, certain certain settings. It may just be a URL that he sends to the to the patient, and the patient logs in under a on their smartphone or their iPad, their smart device. Um, that is that is one aspect of the of the telemedicine, and in that case, the patient would use whatever connection they can get to. Um, what we're trying to do is we focus more on the rural side where um, a, a rural healthcare facility may may lose power, may have to go to a, 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 a gym or a small hotel or whatever may be the case to connect. We try to build a solution that they can use in their clinics. They can pick it up and take it if there's a hot spot and, and do a, a field type solution. So it it doesn't it doesn't replace anything that Dr. Mike is doing and and we're not reinventing the wheel we're just focusing on making sure that the speed at which the the applications and the services that the doctors are providing is is available to those end users whether it be a phone or a a video endpoint or a complete uh, uh system that includes hardware and diagnostic machines and and other other uh, items that the patients may need access to. Mm -hmm. So um, now one of the advantages, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you, you're not dependent on this particular device, right? That that you can you can have a a, a phone, iPhone, a general smartphone, an Android device. Uh, you're pretty much agnostic as far as the device itself that people come in to the system was, right? That's correct. I mean, the again, we're we're providing a communication connectivity. Um, if if the hospitals and the doctors have specific hardware they want to use, and that hardware is available, or those systems are available on the other side, of course that infrastructure will allow those devices to talk but if 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 for example um, dr. Mike's system is trying to talk to somebody who doesn't have the same hardware that shouldn't prevent the two of them from talking and and so mm -hmm. there's there's various protocols and various technical resources that go in there but our goal is to provide that that multi-lane highway that I don't care what kind of car you have, I can get you from point A to point B. If, you, if you're both using the same type of hardware, that's great. And there's, and there's extra features you'll be able to utilize on that highway. But we build the infrastructure to allow the different agencies and different, different patients and doctors to communicate with whatever equipment they have. Mm-hmm. So... Um... Uh, Mike, from your perspective, have you noticed any problems that people have uh, because of the device that they're trying to use? Uh, do your products, uh, your services 
uh, and other uh, telehealth uh, vendors, are all of those ready to go regardless of what kind of device patients are using? Yeah, that's a really, really good question, Craig. Um, And so what we've seen is that some patients do not have the ability to um, gain access to, you know, good broadband. And so, you know, their phones and their cellular data are what they have to use. And so web technology has not been working very well, especially in the rural rural areas. So that's number one. Number two is that some patients um, are really – I guess, for lack of a better term, they have a hard time downloading apps. So app-only systems do not seem to work well. The ones that seem to work well are ones that use both the web and app-based technologies to be able to meet the patient wherever they are. Maybe the patient doesn't have a smartphone. Uh, Well, you can't download an app if you don't have a smartphone, right? So you've got to be able to use the web. And to me, that's really important. You have to have a telemedicine platform that services everybody, and that means having a web-based and an app-based system and can um, easily get patients on the platform without too much, of, uh, too much difficulty. But it's also important to remember that security is extremely important here as well. And in this day and age, you've seen probably some press reports where public links are very dangerous. You know, um, hackers can easily get into these public links and cause significant trouble. And so having private or unpublished links are very, very key. And even having um, some user authentication to be able to get into uh, the meeting is critical too because, again, people can, um, can cause security issues by pretending to be someone that they're not. And um, unfortunately, um, with the crisis that's going on, you have a lot of great people that are coming out of the woodwork to help. And then also, unfortunately, people are taking advantage of the situation. And so for things like Skype and FaceTime and the things that the government's authorized at this time period, we still have to be careful. And web-based links also are not uh, secure. And so it, you know, for patients and providers out there need to be aware of that and, and be, uh, be careful with, with those types of things. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, yesterday I had a couple of people on the show uh, that discussed um, – using alternative sites for um, hospital patients. So, you know, the hotels or um, dormitory uh, rooms and so forth. What's your take on that? And then, uh, Doug, you and I have talked a little bit about this yesterday, so I'll follow up uh, with you as well. Um, but, uh, but, but Mike, uh, Mike, how do you pronounce your last name? Because I'm, I'm, I'm it's, dying it's, because I cannot remember. No. No worries. It's Grywe. Grywe. It's um, it's a tough one. Um, Gry <laughs> rhymes with Y. <laughs> okay. We. Great. So uh, yeah. Nope. No worries though. Um, my my. You know, I've I've just learned uh, I've learned to live with the fact that it's a hard one to pronounce. Um, but yeah, you know, regarding regarding hotels and the convention centers and everything else that's getting turned into uh, hospitals. You know, I think it's a necessity right now, um, and so it's very, very important that we prepare for the worst and move patients that are healthy into these areas. What's really important from a technology perspective there is having something that's handheld um, because a lot of times, uh, you know, in hospital settings, we use carts to do telemedicine. We use a lot of Bluetooth technology. But for these more healthy patients, uh, it's probably more convenient, a little bit better to 
uh, utilize something that, that revolves around a laptop, um, a phone would be ideal, or a tablet so that things can be moved and easily transported. These carts are very heavy. They're very cumbersome. And so um, utilizing technology that is in, in the palm of your hand really is probably the best option in these settings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, Doug, when we uh, discussed your stuff uh, yesterday, um, you know, again, you had some interesting uh, takes on this um, sort of con- marriage of convenience for now, but, uh, you know, using alternative sites for telehealth, uh, for um, uh, healthcare that will be supported by um, uh, telehealth. What's your take, and how does your um, system address those kinds of alternative situations? Well, it, it, exactly like Dr. Mike pointed out is that the the uh, convenience of, of turning up mobile mobile treatment facilities, it's happening. Um, different different states are, are doing it now. The problem that that I think that we we as my company address and, and other technology companies need to look at is um, whether it's a card or a handheld, that communication that 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 signal from that device has to get from point A to point B. So when when hospitals or clinics are setting up these um, remote treatment facilities, they sometimes overlook how am I going to get uh, effective speed connectivity, whether it's voice, whether it's video, whether it's data, whether it's a combination of all three, from that 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 remote site back to a, a hospital. So what we try to do is we focus in on getting the fastest connection we can, putting uh, parameters around those connections. It's referred to as what class of service to ensure that if it's a handheld uh, device, I can make sure the results of that get back to the remote doctor who can read it. Um, if they're fortunate enough to, to get additional bandwidth, then we can do things like video units and, and other things. But it has to be flexible, and it's going to be based on geographic location, based on what services that we can, we can work together to get installed there quickly. The hospitals typically have enough capacity and bandwidth and connectivity that they're not going to be adversely affected. It's typically the remote side or the remote user, um, and and then when you put security on top of that, whether you try to do encryption or or, or to ensure the patient's information is as as is as protected as as possible, you add more delay onto that wire. So all of those factors is, are things that we try to look at and provide the the best possible solution for uh, physicians like Dr. Mike's programs to work across. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Now, um, a lot of my audience are people who are in the broadband industry, and I think the, the discussion that you and I have regarding to how this works, um, you know, because I think a lot of people who are not in the either broadband or telehealth, um, you know, that they are hearing terms like where you have to have uh, HIPAA-compliant software to make telehealth work and so forth, but you're using a different approach 
and it, which I find very um, interesting. But I think that you know, if we can, if you can talk about that, um, you know, how this interact interacts with the uh, with the cloud, um, I think it'll be a very helpful discussion. And also, I think there will probably be a lot of uh, broadband uh, networks, you know, like Wilson and Chattanooga and all the all the ones that are out there. Um, that will probably have an interest in looking at, you know, this technology. Okay, so so our our solutions are we we try to always encrypt from one end to the other. Uh, In most cases, whether if it's a clinic or if it's a, a, a gym, a school, a hotel, that's feasible because you're creating a, a whether it's a wireless network or a wired network of that facility and then you you funnel that traffic back down to a um, a central point at which time you you encrypt it and you de-encrypt it on the other side. Um, there are software packages out there that allow you to push a a, a link down to a, a smartphone. There are there are software packages that will also do the encryption, um, and and the keys to HIPAA are are. The, encrypting the traffic, protecting the traffic, but the the doctors and the patients need to understand that if I'm on a, a cell phone and I'm face chatting with Dr. Mike and that 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 connection is encrypted, the person next to you or the person you know on the next room over, if they hear you, there could be leakage of information. So we try our best to incorporate as many different security parameters to protect that traffic. Um, but there's still a, a a possibility that you, that there will be uh, leakage of of personal information from the patients. So, um, but that is normally the case with any telehealth app that's out there, right? I mean, there is there is uh, HIPAA compliant, uh, which you, again you you've explained uh, what that actually means. Um, but isn't there a uh, uh, some some sort of risk that is going to be in place because that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, technology has shortcomings and security. You know, you do the best you can, but you also always have that off one, you know, that off chance that that's a you know a, a concern. I mean, if I'm and, and that's right. Yeah. So there, there are the services that we that we utilize, and when we're when we're brokering the connections, um, those services we always ensure that that software is HIPAA compliant. Um, mm-hmm. That ensures that when the communication from point A going to point Z um, is is within a HIPAA compliant um, uh, en- envelope per se, but there are still points in that communication when it hits the End user cell phone or their their computer or um, typically not on the hospital end but but typically on the on the patient side there could be um, and probably often is uh, avenues at which the data could be um, interpreted read that aren't HIPAA compliant so so we as as technical people or solution providers have to do everything in our power to ensure that our systems are HIPAA compliant. And then we have to educate the users. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it, and that I think the education side of how do you talk to um, someone who who maybe is not as skilled as on a, on a on a cell phone of working the the FaceTime or the Skype um, and has it on speaker and is talking where everybody can see or hear it. Um, those breaches of of security at that point, the the users need to at least understand that at some degree. Um, because you may be taking that data, but if I'm screaming at the phone or, or talking loudly at the phone, um, that somebody else can hear that. That that in itself could be a breach breach of data security. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, uh, Mike, from your perspective, you run into a lot of um, reticence on the part of patients um, to use. Um, telehealth, and if if so, is it broken down by like uh, generations? For example, you know, people who are um, in their in their seventies, uh, there is an assumption that they're not going to be as um, uh, cool with the idea of talking to you um, over the, the over the computer, whereas twenty-something folks could. You know, care less. It's just like it's a major convenience boom. They're done. Um, what, what are you? What are right. you seeing? And in, in, especially over the last two years, because when we first talked, um, you know, it, it was different awareness of telehealth then as there is now. No, you're right. You're right. And um, and you know, my my thought there is that there is some generational differences. Um, you know, over age uh, 65 to 70 is a little more challenging sometimes, but. You'd be surprised, you know. Uh, patients are are uh, very tech savvy at older ages now, and and we really don't find too much problem um, in patients that are um, that are younger than the 65 age range. I really feel like that's a, you know, it may be a little bit of an arbitrary line, but um, line in the sand. But but most of the time, uh, patients do very very well with the technology. The issues come when you know someone doesn't have um, you know access to the tech type of technology that they need to. And uh, but I I would say in general um, we do see some generational differences um, as patients get to older than about sixty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at um, you know the situation we have now, which is we're uh, expecting the worst, and so we're looking for you know, almost extremes of uh, you know options and solutions, right? Um, and as a result. Uh, the government has relaxed a lot of the um, uh, restrictions on telehealth. When this is over, which will hopefully be sooner rather than later, um, how do you see, um, you know, will, will there be a demand and a uh, almost revolt as you t- try to reverse all of these good decisions and try to get it back to where it was before. Yeah, I mean that's a super question, and I don't, you know, I don't really pretend to have the all the answers there. I, I just will say that the opening up of telehealth laws has been helpful for all the communities across the United States, and the United States was behind in allowing telemedicine to flourish, and it, it's really a great service for patients. It's a great service for physicians. And it should be opened up. And so I, I hope that the laws remain open. It definitely is a concern to me that they may uh, shut down many of those laws. And, 
And certainly from my standpoint, the security laws need to stay in place, but ultimately the ability for patients to see their doctors um, uh, needs to be enabled uh, like they have for the billing laws that have, that have, been, that have come down recently, Medicare uh, particularly. So I think that's a really important, important thing. So, um, you know, from what things that you have seen, uh, Doug, uh, you know, I would pose the same question. Um, you know, is there going to be uh, like a serious demand and maybe near revolt if they, if the government tries to reverse itself and try to put those restrictions back in place? Because I'm not even sure a lot of people know just how bad they were. Uh, before this um, pandemic came on town, I I I believe that um, the trends that I'm seeing is that the with the influx of capital from from the the federal government to support telehealth now, the investment in in communications, um, and then that that generational gap that. The users, and, and, and I say anybody under 35, um, are, are going to demand that this service stay in effect and continue to grow. Um, when we when we build infrastructures and, and we we go into cities and we may build a uh, they call it a giga city is is a, is a nice marketing term, um, mm-hmm. but that's that's based on kids and kids are again apologize are are, are 35 and younger for me. Um, those are based on kids not wanting cable television or satellite television. They want internet. Mm-hmm. They want their they want their content when they want it, and they want it fast. So why not right. telehealth? Why not education? You'll see more and more colleges are doing distance education now because it's more convenient. So I I think that the the young adults, uh, young professionals are going to demand that, and as they mature. And, and get into the workforce and get into the different aspects of, of, of politics and leadership that it's only going to get better. Um, and, and I, I, I often laugh and tell silly stories about uh, technical people and, 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 and understanding my generation is um, I'm sure you guys have all seen um, someone in their sixties or seventy on a cell phone and they're talking and they're talking really, really loud um, and and the reason they're yeah and and the reason they do that is is a is a geek term called side tone. So many years ago, when we had our old telephones, you would hold the receiver up, and if you talked into the receiver, you could hear it in your ear earpiece. That that sole feature was for volume control, but your cell phones don't have it. So older people mm-hmm. tend to talk really loud because they're hearing it on the other ear and they're not adjusting for the volume. That concept, when you look at young kids, they would rather be on a cell phone than a landline. They would rather have read all of their email and all the news on their cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, that generational... No, no, you have to go ahead. I, um, I lost. Okay, so I, I think that that uh, that that generational gap is going to drive this forward. Right. Okay. 
so that would be a big uh, big plus. And then the generational one of the things that when people talked about the uh, the generations, uh, there's a uh, there's things like hearing, right? But also being able to see, um, uh, because you know they're 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 hearing and they're hear uh, they're seeing becomes a little bit um, uh, you know less uh, robust. Will that affect um, uh, where we go with telehealth? Do you think? We seem to have a technology issue today. I cannot quite figure out. Bear with me one second here, folks. Hello, Mike. Yes, we lost you for a second. Okay. Oh, sorry about uh, that. I'm back. No, no worries. Uh, the question we were trying to uh, get to was: um, uh, as people get older, right? There's a, you know, we're getting to a point where there's less resistance to the technology. But when you have issues like hearing or sight, that will get um, you know, progressively weaker as the person gets older, would that become a factor in terms of how the telehealth is received and also used, uh, you know, utilized? Yeah, I mean, that's a great, great point, too. I mean, I think there there probably is going to be some, uh, you know, some difficulty, uh, but, but that's where, you know, as we get older and we, we don't have our eyesight, we don't have our hearing, um, you know, we rely on other pieces of technology to make that better. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that's other individuals um, who can step in and help us to complete visits, like family members, and, you know, people that are there to sort of help in, in terms of caregivers. Uh, because when, when hearing and eyesight gets that bad, you really ultimately need um, assistance from someone else many times. And so it's the same mm-hmm. thing with telemedicine. Um, you know, we face the same barriers with those particular patients when they're actually in our offices physically. Um, but it, it oh, certainly okay. makes it more more challenging, you know, um, from a telemedicine perspective too. But but the same barriers exist uh, if someone you know has is uh, has difficulty with hearing or maybe difficulty with eyesight, um, with forms and different things that they have to fill out. Uh, but I I do believe that. Um, Ultimately, you know, people that have those types of challenges rely on others. They rely on the, the um, different things that they have, maybe, um, you know, he- hearing aids and different things to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. That will be uh, definitely an issue. Um, in general, people with dis- disabilities, uh, how much of a difficult time do they typically have with telehealth? You know, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's the hardest part is is patients that have disabilities, right? Um, especially, okay. uh, you know, hearing and, and eyesight. I think you picked out the the two big ones um, because mm-hmm. because of uh, the fact that we rely on that type of technology. But ultimately, if you can use a phone um, and you have the ability to uh, to work within um, app environments, if you have the ability to use your web, um, those those diff- you know difficulties can be mitigated. But, um, mm-hmm. but it may not be the right tech. It might not be the right technology for those particular patients um, at this day and age, you know. And and I think we have to accept that again. Telemedicine is not a replacement. It's an adjunct to medical care. Um, but when patients like this have issues, uh, they need support from their family, friends, um, to be able to help complete medical visits, both in office and with telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Yep, I definitely agree. Lord knows it's been, uh, you know, a little stressful trying to deal with the various uh, issues that, that that come in when uh, you have some sort of a you know, trauma and that kind of thing. Um, uh, Doug, I had a question regarding, um, you know, in the, in the rural areas, um, there's a lot of dollars being spent. Um, do you have any thoughts on... Uh, those rural areas that are too close to a metropolitan area, but are nevertheless have a you know all the uh, the, the the shortcomings of um, uh, connect, connections and connections to the internet and so forth, um, you still have that problem. Um, you know what? What what can we do as I don't know as as technologists or as advocates to address that part of you know rural America? I, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, I mean, we have seen um, rural and, and and urban facilities that uh, are able to take advantage of some of the supplements that are out there. Um, would they be better suited for a, a, a facility farther away? Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure how how you would separate the two um, from from one needing it more than the other one. Um, my biggest concern has never been uh, the connectivity or or whether they need it or they don't. Um, my biggest concern or, or uh, gripe per se is that um, telehealth to this point has has come in waves. There there would be a grant and a a facility would go get the grant and they would buy a unit and that unit may work, uh, they may use it successfully for three or four months, maybe six months. And then when we're in there redesigning infrastructures and networks and and stuff, we find rooms full of video equipment and rooms full of of different things that... um, we feel that the the users were never trained or successfully cultivated uh, in how yeah. to use that process, and and so I think that um, the, the doctor mics of the world, if it, 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 the service, the the technical side of this this um, objective is the easy part, the the training and the, and and the utilization. And the the business aspect of making sure everybody knows how to use it, they know how to to work with that 
75-year-old patient who, who barely knows how to turn that phone on all the way down to that 22-year-old kid that um, was on an iPad when they were one. That bridging of that of that gap is a user perception, is a user training, and I think that's mm-hmm. the focus that that if we don't allocate dollars to that, if we don't allocate time to that, then in three or four years the infrastructure that is being funded now under COVID will be in a closet like the like its predecessors. Yeah, and and that's almost a, a discussion for uh, you know. A, a, separate couple of shows, but it's definitely, um, I think it's a part of the um, downside, right? So we'll we'll have a different agency uh, like the FCC or the USDA and say, here's this uh, boatload of money, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, we get that money dispersed and we have the technology in place. And then someone will find out that, um, you know, well, who's training these folks? And when people get frustrated because of the lack of training, who fixed who fix that problem and so forth? You know, it can definitely be a big uh, an issue. Um, now, uh, uh, Mike, you and I have had a couple of conversations about uh, the – the digital inclusion factor, you know, what do you do when your community, um, you know, not only do you not have the, the, the money, uh, but it's all the stuff that goes along with that technology that we're trying to solve. I mean, how do you see that being played out? Um, and, and what do you, you know, what should we advise, you know, advocate people do? To um, to write the scales a little bit. Yeah, I think maybe Craig, you're responding. Your kind of question is aligned to um, you know the, the communities that need to build their infrastructure. Is that is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I I think we need to as a country decide that you know rural America is extremely important and. Patients and the people that live there in rural America make up about 70% of our population. Um, and they are, you know, the, the voting members of our population, um, as we have, have seen. And, um, you know, th- they have a voice, you know, and we need to support them in their infrastructure development and, and help them to, to achieve, um, you know, what a lot of countries actually have, I think, better uh, done a better job with in the United States, really, which is uh, broadband infrastructure. And so we need to mm-hmm. invest in that. We need to get um, the players involved that, that um, you know, that, that take care of broadband around the United States um, and make sure that, uh, that there is coverage. And, you know, if you look at the Securities and Trade Commission's website on on who has coverage, it appears that everyone has coverage. 99.99% of people have coverage in terms of cellular data or broadband. But really, that's not completely accurate. It's only um, one particular carrier, for instance. And so I think the the maps need to be told a little more truthfully. We need to see um, the fact that certain communities don't have the type of coverage, especially from a broadband perspective, that's necessary. And we need to invest in our infrastructure across the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, I will not 
argue that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big, um, it's a big issue, and and so forth. Um, so, well, both of you, as we start to get to the last part of our show, uh, starting with Doug, um, where do you see telehealth going after we get done with this pandemic? Because you know, the telehealth has moved along at its pace and, and so forth, and maybe 10% of the country has uh, touched it in some way, form, or fashion. But now all of a sudden, you know, everybody's talking about telehealth. You know, so what is it? what do you think it's going to look like when, when like I said, maybe the next two months or three months when people say, oh, well, that was a good thing. <laughs> you know, where do we go next? I, I think there's going to be a, a couple different aspects that uh, are, are factors that, that will start to move and shift over the next couple of months. Um, I, I think there's going to be a, a flood of companies that want to invest in, in, and build into rural America. And, and again, Mike, you, you, the way you stated it was brilliant. I, I think it's been underserved. Um, I, I believe that um, because when you look at the, the bigger cities and you look at the hot spots and, and, and the social distancing hasn't been there, that there's going to be a, uh, and I don't want to call it a mass exodus, but there's going to be people that leave the cities to go back to the rural areas, the, the burbs, um, to have that distance, to have that separation. And the only way that can that can sustain itself is if the the federal government invests in uh, upgrading the infrastructure. I believe there's dollars being projected to look at roads and bridges. Well, w- with today's technology, when you put a new road in, when you redo a bridge, you can lay the fiber optics necessary, the conduits to pull that in there. So it's possible to to use those same dollars to achieve not only a, a physical uh, transportation system, but a digital transportation system. And so as you're building that, you're allowing those users to to move back into the rural areas. You're building that, that infrastructure that can sustain telehealth. And then you're allowing the specialists, the, the, the doctors who have spent half their lives in school, to live where they want but still provide a, a, a quality service, a quality product to anywhere um, based on that infrastructure you just built. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, what's your take on where do we go next when all the dust clears? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a great question. Um, you know, right now, I think we are going to see a ultimately a little retraction in telemedicine usage. That's probably natural as we get back to sort of quote business as usual. But but business really will never be the same after this crisis passes us because we, we re- understand how vulnerable we really are and we understand what technology can do for us. And so we're going to see many of the laws that have been taken down in favor of telemedicine stay down. And I think that's going to be a huge positive for the telemedicine industry and really for patients and providers at large. I think you're going to see a, a better ability for patients to handle this type of technology because it was required of them. And also the same thing on the provider end. I think providers are going to be more comfortable and also more tolerant of um, of doing telemedicine across all specialties. 
And I also think there's mm-hmm. going to be a push across the country to be able to improve our broadband and connectivity to some of our underserved areas and some of the rural communities out there that, that really don't have it. So I think on all fronts, really, this crisis is going to change how we, how we operate and how we, how we do things inside the United States. And I think a lot of companies are realizing they can work just, effect, just as effectively using remote type of devices and tools to, to uh, interact with meetings. Um, they may not necessarily rely as heavily on the current uh, status quo, which is you know, office space and, and desks and, and everything else. So it, it right. will be very, very interesting what the world holds. Huh. Okay. Um, last uh, question. It's gotta be, we've got like two minutes. Um, uh, Doug, I'll ask you. Um, yesterday I was in a meeting and, uh, and someone asked, well, so what type of medicine or what type of medical care will be the next big thing? I mean, right now, it's just a simple, you know, get my doctor on the on the line, and that's a big deal with a lot of people, right? But if you were to pick out your, you know, your best sci-fi fantasy in uh, 30 seconds, what would be that telehealth? I, I'm I'm at a loss. <laughs> I, I think that the the uh, uh, I've never been posed that question before, but I think what you're going to see are more interactive type IoT, Internet of Things devices, whether it's a the Apple Watch that's looking at your heart rate and measuring your your, your the, the 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 rhythms. Um, I think that as the technology progresses, I, I don't believe there's going to be a a cap um, on where this could end. I I, I think that as Doctor, the, the doctors like Dr. Mike, and as they get creative, what they can do with a device that you plug in or an app that you download or, or both, um, I think the sky's the limit. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I envision, you know, in the future, you'll be able to do 80, 80, 90 percent of everything remote, and only have to come in when you need to to, to go to a CAT scan or an MRI, or as an orthopedic needs to put his hand on your knee and, and feel the the movement of it. Um, I, I think those will be the limiting, the, the exceptions to what medicine becomes. Mm-hmm. And that's going to pretty much be our show for today. I want to thank you both for your time, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you guys uh, later as things uh, open up here. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Greg.